So how are you liking Hebrews? Yeah, or nay. Thumbs up for all of those who think it's great. Thumbs down for those who think it's awful. <laughs> so there's not many people even willing to commit one way or the other. Okay. Uh, Hebrews, as uh, you've come to know, is a very deep book. I mean, it just is. Uh, it takes us uh, in depth to places that maybe we would not be taken to otherwise. But anyway, we are going to be looking at chapter 4 this morning. So let me read that. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to, be, uh, to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were, uh, they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed entered that rest as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all of his works. And again in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not, would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered the God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked, exposed to the eyes of him whom we must to whom we must give an account. The last part of that chapter, if, you know, we don't even really know how and, and who did the, the chapter divisions in Scripture. Uh, but what I would say to you is they did a pretty good job in some places, but this is one where I think maybe they fell short. The last part of chapter 4 really should be part of chapter 5. So we're going to pick up in, at the tail end of chapter 4 next week and do, uh, do chapter 5. Obviously, uh, as we've gone through here, we've seen that each one of these chapters have really emphasized a particular point. The first one had to do with the supremacy of Christ. Christ. 
The second point in chapter 2 was that Jesus is superior to the angels. And in chapter 3, that Jesus is far greater than Moses. In other words, what's going on here is the exaltation of Christ. Raising Christ above any and everybody else. Chapter 4 takes a little bit of a turn. Because it has a central theme of resting. Telling us, teaching us what resting in Jesus really is. And what it looks like. He begins with that word, therefore. And whenever we see that word, therefore, we know that what's coming is dependent upon where we just went. Because those things are true, this is also true. And what he talks about in today's chapter is the benefits of resting in Jesus Christ. And a warning against those who don't. We are all called to rest in Jesus. If you don't get anything else out of this whole chapter and this sermon this morning, that we are called to rest absolutely, completely in Jesus, in the person of Jesus, in the finished works of Jesus, etc., etc., etc. When I was in uh, seminary, I actually did a book report on a book that was written by one of the Puritans by the name of Richard Baxter. Does anyone know which title I'm talking about? You should read it if you haven't. The title of the book is The Saint's Everlasting Rest. In other words, the whole book is about rest. And let me tell you, if you've if you read any of the Puritan writers, you know they know how to write a lot. <laughs> In great depth. And, 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 Joe, and Owen in particular, he, was, he took every verse and he broke it down into every letter almost in that verse and taught from it. But he wrote this treatise entitled The Saints' Everlasting Rest or A Treatise of the Blessed State of the Saints and the Enjoyment of God in Glory wherein is showed its excellency and certainty, the misery of those who lose it, the way to attain it and assurance of it, and how to live in the continued delightful forecast of it, and now published by Richard Baxter. That's the title of the book. So if you want to know about resting as a Christian, I would highly recommend it. But that's what this whole chapter is about, is resting in Christ. 
because he is those things that we've already learned. The reaction that we should have is to rest in him. In other words, no longer try to do it on our own. But to learn daily more and more a humble reliance on our Savior in all things. Again, he's continuing here talking about Israel in general, their failure, their failure to do, to rest in God as they were called to do. But in Christ Jesus, things are different. I mean, the law of God can look, be looked upon, and there's, a, there's an argument you could make, is that it really is burdensome, because we know that no one actually, actually does it, at least to the degree that God's called us to. But just remember the words of Jesus himself. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest. What our troubled souls long for can be found, but can only be found in Christ. He is many things that he is our rest. So what kind of rest are we talking about? We know it's not rest from the physical burdens of life, physical work. But the author of Hebrews is talking about a spiritual form of resting. first verse alludes to something and that is this it says while the promise of entering his rest still stands in other words what the author is leading to here or, or basically saying indirectly is this is the door to salvation is open now but it will not always be that one of these days that door will close In other words, the gospel is time-sensitive. 
There's only so much time to get the word out. And then that time will come to a close. Jesus described himself in this manner. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, the door, I am the door of the sheep. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. So what does resting in Christ really look like? Sometimes people, you know, we associate resting with doing nothing, basically, right? I want to challenge us with the idea this morning that resting in Jesus does not mean that nothing is expected or required of us, that we just go on cruise control. How can I say that? I can say that because that idea, that notion is contrary to the rest of Scripture or a good bit of the rest of Scripture. Scripture is replete with imperatives. Commands. Orders. Jesus often spoke in imperatives himself. So did the apostles. I, I was looking at this the other day. It's amazing the things that you can find online today. If you want to know, have any information about just anything, about anything you can think of, you can find some information on the internet for it. But I have never taken the time to count the, the imperatives or the commands that are found in the New Testament, but someone has. And according to them, there are 1,632 commands in the New Testament. Not just a few, a whole bunch. Imperatives being commands, imperatives being things that have uh, vital importance. So then we know this, the kind of rest that, that is spoken of uh, very often in Scripture has nothing to do with inactivity. This is resting while you're active, while you're engaged, while you're involved. Resting in Jesus frequently requires activity, some form of action on our part. For instance, the imperative, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, a command, not a request, not a suggestion. Here's another one. Your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. The indicative case is what God has done or is doing on our part. The imperative is what we must do in response to it. How do we react to it? 
what action are we supposed to take as a result of it? I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more I enjoy my rest. And I seem to be resting a lot more than I used to. <laughs> don't be surprised or shocked if you happen to come into the church office one, one morning and pass by my office and I'm catching a few Z's. I finally, after years of fighting it, sometimes, you know, most of the time it's better for me just to give in to it, and then I know that once I get on the other side of it, I'll be refreshed, and I'll be actually able to accomplish something rather than trying to fight it all day and not really getting anything done. <laughs> we must make time for God. Life is busy. There doesn't seem to be any way of getting around that. We must, every one of us, have times where we be still and know that he is God. We cannot let the busyness of life or the busyness of the day push God out of the picture. Do you practice quiet time? Maybe you do. Maybe you've been doing it now since you became a believer. You do it every day religiously. Maybe for a time you did, but somehow you got out of the habit of doing it. Now you don't do it really much anymore. Maybe every now and then you'll pick up the Bible and read something and think about it a little bit. But I cannot tell you how important it is for you and for me to meet with God on a regular basis, daily, if possible. If you don't, you will never have the depth of a relationship that you could have in Christ. Have you ever had a relationship with anybody that, that was fostered and grew very deeply if you didn't spend any time with them? Don't make time for God. The only person you're hurting is you, yourself, and you. Me, whatever. <laughs> and at the same time, it's something I would imagine that all of us struggle with, even those that are faithful in doing it. Sometimes it would be easy to not. Easier to not. But ultimately, when we don't make time for God, we're only hurting ourselves. We just are. We're depriving ourselves of the, the greatest and, and, and most wonderful relationship we have with anybody. And having a relationship with God, just like every other relationship that you have with anybody, requires time and effort. 
especially if you want it to deepen and grow. Do you want that kind of relationship? Let me give you some reasons why someone might resist having a deepening relationship with the Lord. Sometimes it could be because uh, someone has a, just a great sense of their own unworthiness. In other words, they don't, they don't deserve it to have a close relationship with God. And you know what? They're right. But that's something that everyone could say. It's true for all of us without exception. You need to get over it. God didn't choose to have a relationship with you or me because he saw something in us that caused us to be deserving of it. Don't let feelings of inadequacy keep you at arm's length from your Savior. just shock the bejeebies out of all of us that the Lord wants anything to do with us. But he obviously does. And he's demonstrated that in ways that we can't even begin to even question it. It's a reality. He wants a relationship with you. He wants a very deep relationship with you. Maybe we, we resist resting in Christ because we know that it's going to require us to make significant changes in the manner in which we live. Priorities will shift. And we're not so sure that we want them to. Perhaps it might even mean giving up things that we really don't want to give up. You know, I've heard Christians say things like this. I like the way my life is, so why would I do anything to change it? In other words, it's easy for us to get comfortable as Christians, to be in a place where we're just comfortable. Don't move me this way or move me that way because then it's going to upset the apple cart and so on. And so I just like things the way they are, and I'm afraid that if I do anything else... It's going to change. But having a deepening relationship with God always involves change. And it's not him changing, it's you changing. What about this? Sometimes we don't want other people, often those we care most about, to think that we're religious fanatics. Being a radical Christian will, in fact, cost you relationships. I promise you that much. But 
it will also gain you relationships. Deeper, more meaningful relationships. It will require us, at least on occasion, to step outside our comfort zone. To strike up a conversation with an absolute stranger. To do things sometimes we don't feel all that comfortable doing. Let me just tell you this, as a pastor, I live outside my comfort zone. I mean, I just do. My comfort zone is playing in the swimming pool with our grandkids or riding my tractor on the property up in Chiefland. There are a lot of Sunday mornings when I would much rather be sitting where you are than standing where I am. I'm here for one reason, and that's because God convicts me week after week after week. This is what he wants me to do. This is where he wants me to be. We have to rest in God. Where he wants us to be, where he wants us to be resting. I mean, there's so much more I could say. Reality is this. It's, it's like Baxter. He writes this hundreds of pages of this dissertation. You know, I'm resting. There's a sense in which we might be able to spend the rest of our lives studying nothing but this one particular chapter in the book of Hebrews. Because the deeper you go and the more you contemplate it and consider it, the more the Lord uses it to enlighten you to new things that you had not even considered before. So why do we resist sometimes reading Scripture? That's partly because of this, is sometimes with some scriptures, it's almost like having heart surgery. It's painful. As we take what is, is written there and what we are to learn, and we apply it to ourselves. Long before I became a pastor, I made it a habit of reading through Scripture. I started that when I first became a believer. I, I committed myself to read through the Bible at least once a year. I know there are a lot of people that speed read it. I'm not a big fan of speed reading. Scripture, you can be, speed read other things. But if one comes to the Bible... You have to be able to read and take a little bit of time to be silent and think about what you read. It soaks in. It, takes, it requires soak time. You can't just skim across it. You have to let it get down into your bones and your sinews and your 
other parts. It's amazing the statistics you can just pull up on the internet today about just about anything. I do it all the time when I'm doing sermons. I think, well, what, what, what information can I get about this, that, or the other? <laughs> and I do it, and it amazes me all the information you get on just about any topic you can possibly think of. And we understand that some of it's good information and some of it's not, so we have to sift it through reason and etc to conclude whether it's really true or not. But today, there's a large percentage of churchgoers who will never read the whole Bible once in their whole lifetime. A huge percent. Less than 30% of Christians worldwide will ever read through the whole Bible even once. Ever. Only 32% of churchgoers read the Bible on a daily basis, whether it just be a one or two verses. One out of eight churchgoers rarely, if ever, read Scripture. One out of eight. Church attendance is way down in the good old U.S. of A., In 1990, 47% of Americans attended church in one shape or another. Today, it's down to 25%. Strangely, 68% of American adults are Bible curious. In other words, they want to know what it says or what it talks about or whatever but they don't want to know enough about it to actually pick it up and do it. The Bible is our spiritual food. Without it, we starve. Please don't depend absolutely on other people like me to do all of your spiritual thinking for you. How many Bibles do you think have actually been printed since the 15th century when the printing press was... you have any idea? Five billion. Far more than anybody else or anything else. The Koran, 
about 800,000. See, this is, in, in, in reality, is this, I would imagine if you went into just about any home or most homes in the United States, even today, you would find that they had, would have Bibles, at least one Bible, maybe sitting on their coffee table in their living room. But the thing about it is, is the Bible can't accomplish anything on its own. The Bible has to be read. It has to be read, it has to be studied, it has to be applied. Otherwise, it's just another book. Are we resting in Christ? Kind of gotten off topic here. suffering things in this particular chapter all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we get will give an account do we think much about that in other words he sees us completely exposed the one to whom we're going to give an accounting to We'll be honest, we all have secrets we keep from other people. There are things the Lord doesn't know about me. We all have at least a few that no one else knows about. Most of us have one or two that if people did know about it, we would be terribly embarrassed. We're not mind readers, even though some people seem to think they are. God, on the other hand, is a mind reader. He sees it all, he knows it all, he hears it all. There's not one bit of knowledge or a piece of information that is hidden from him. No matter how far we try to shove it down in the trash pile. That in itself ought to accomplish a couple of things. One of those is maybe evoke a little bit of fear in us. But at the same time, give us unbelievable comfort. It is amazing. He knows us in ways that we don't even know ourselves. He knows me in ways that Lori doesn't know me by a long shot. He knows her in ways I don't know her.
He is an amazing, amazing God. Amazing and loving and caring. Father to us. We think we want good things for our children. I do, Lindsay. I really, really do. <laughs> and so does your mother. But the Lord wants those things for us even far more. So are we resting in Christ is the question. Are we? Will you pray with me? Just one verse from Scripture. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the intentions of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer, in the name of Jesus.